good morning, church. Uh, my name is Cassidy Shaw, as Ben Kreider said earlier. Um, I interned here back in the summer of 2019. I met my husband here. Um, we've been married for 50 weeks, so <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> um, almost a year. Um, yeah, so I this is my preaching home. This is the only place I've preached, and I'm grateful for Pastor Aaron for the way that she's poured into me and for this church that has trusted me to experiment with the call on my life a little bit. So back to my husband. Um, anybody who knows Brian Shaw knows that he loves to cook. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and he is good at it, like really good at it. It'll be a random Tuesday night. We're both at home, come home from work exhausted. I sit down, I turn on the TV, and all of a sudden, 30 minutes later, comes a plated steak dinner to the coffee table. I mean, like, that just, like, he whips it up, like, no big deal. And that takes serious skill. So I am the lucky benefactor of all of the meals and all of the mess. He cooks, I clean, um, and it's really a pretty sweet gig, if I'm honest with you. And as a talented cook, Brian knows the exact things he wants to cook with. He's done all the research into it, and about a year and a half ago when we were creating our wedding registry, he told me all of the things that we needed to add for his kitchen. All of the pans, all of the knives, two full sets, and all of the other utensils. We've had this conversation. He's not blindsided by the sermon. Um, <laughs> and the people who love us came through for him. <laughs> um, his preferred pan to cook in is a cast iron pan, and we have six now. One, one of them is a cast iron wok, and one of them is a cast iron Dutch oven. And both of those are so heavy that my weak noodle arms can't even lift them. So those are all his pants. <laughs> um, but all of this is beside the point. When I first got married to him, I was incredibly concerned about how to take care of his precious cast irons. I come from a family where cooking is important because you have to eat, um, and we use the cheap nonstick pans. We never had a cast iron until I was in college. So when I married Chef Brian, I was intimidated. I um, never wanted to cook for him, which is I'm still working on. It's very intimidating to be married to a person who cooks well and then try to cook for them. Um, doesn't. I don't try very often. <laughs> but also, I never wanted to clean the cast irons. I was always nervous that I would scrub it wrong, or that I would use soap on the cast iron, or that I would somehow break another unspoken rule that anybody who owns a cast iron knows naturally, but that anybody who's never used a cast iron would have no idea about. There are unspoken rules. I would stand over the stove and look at this pan that Brian had just cooked a fabulous meal in, and I would be absolutely frozen. I didn't know how heavy it would be, if I would be able to pick it up or not. I didn't know how I was, what I was supposed to do with it. And then just to make it look like I was going somewhere, I would pick it up and move it to the kitchen sink. And then I would stand over the kitchen sink and look at this dirty pan 
And then I would call Brian to help me clean it. Brian likes his cast irons cleaned in the way they're supposed to be cleaned. Weird. I don't know who likes things cleaned the way they're supposed to be cleaned. But he does. And I used to freeze whenever I thought about getting it wrong. I didn't want to mess it up. I didn't want to have dirty pans. And I didn't want to make him upset. And honestly, this is how I and maybe you can feel about prayer. We can feel like there are so many opinions on how to do it and so many ways to do it wrong. And I wonder if anyone else just stands there frozen because you feel like if you pray wrong, you might mess everything up. The Bible teaches us how to pray. Respected church leaders teach us how to pray. Books teach us how to pray. Random speakers on Sunday morning come into our church sanctuary and teach us how to pray. Um, And even Jesus, God's own son, God incarnate, teaches us how to pray. That's kind of intimidating when God himself prays. So how are we ever supposed to know which way is right? And I wonder if anybody else has asked these questions. What if I pray wrong? What if I ruin the kingdom of God? Or what if I ruin my life with adding something into a prayer that shouldn't be there? Or maybe forgetting to include something that we need? Especially with Jesus teaching us how to pray, it can feel like a minefield and not knowing when we're going to step in the wrong place. But as I've looked at Jesus and learned from Jesus, I have begun to wonder if if Jesus actually gave us a formula to stick to. Did Jesus actually give us words to memorize that as soon as we get it wrong, we might as well wish we hadn't prayed at all? Because that doesn't sound like the Jesus that I know. It doesn't sound like the word and wisdom made flesh who seeks out the lowly and the vulnerable to show them dignity and care. It doesn't seem like the Redeemer who took up a shameful place on the cross to help those who couldn't help themselves. So how did Jesus teach us to pray if this isn't how? This morning, as part of your Kingdom Come series, I have the challenge and the gift of talking about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. We'll be in some of the surrounding verses as well, so you can follow along on the screens or in your Bible. Um, I will be reading from the New Living Translation, which is a little different and says the Lord's Prayer a little bit differently. So, verse 5, Matthew 6, 5. When you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, 
For your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. Verse 9, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If we go back to verse 5, the word translated hypocrites, don't be like the hypocrites, is a word that also means actor. The understanding with this word is that these people are putting on a show for the people who see them in the synagogues and on the streets, but also for the God that they have forgotten sees their innermost heart. I don't know about you, but I don't walk around identifying myself and introducing myself as a hypocrite. Doesn't really lend itself to friends. But maybe you can think of a time when you've put on a show or pretended to be holy or more holy than you are. When in fact, what's going on inside you is a little bit uglier and you don't really want to acknowledge it or you don't want others to see it. Or maybe you've put on a show to make it look like everything in your life is picture perfect, it's all okay, we're doing good over here. When in reality, you feel like your world is crumbling down around you. The reward that the hypocrites or the actors or we seek Jesus makes clear in this passage, they get. They get what they want, which is maybe better known as attention or power or fame. And while they get what they want, they get nothing beyond that. And they're left after praying, longing for more attention, wanting more power, and wanting to be more well-known. Have you ever been left longing after you pray? I have, in case you wondered. Jesus, however, offers us a different option to this rat race of being known. Quiet and peace and time with just Jesus. This humble coming to the Lord in prayer doesn't need to happen in literal quiet. Some of you know that doesn't come easily. If you're a mom with little kids, it doesn't come easily. But the coming to the Lord in humility can be in the middle of the noisiest, corn, or noisiest shopping mall or the loudest fight between your family members or the quietest cornfield where there's no one else around. Even the loudest and the messiest heart can come to Jesus. It's not about your outer surroundings. It's not about if you can literally close the door behind you. But it's about coming to Jesus fully. Jesus then talks about another way not to pray, like the Gentiles who babble. The point here for me this morning is less about the Gentiles and more about the babbling. 
These people who pray are those who use their words in order to manipulate or confuse God so that they get what they want. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, God can't be confused by me. I can't manipulate God. It's God, and I'm a human, right? But maybe you've mindlessly prayed, not really noticing what you're saying or what the person who's praying is saying, and you get to amen, and you don't remember what was said. Maybe you've recited the Lord's Prayer, our very passage this morning, and when you get to the end, you forget even asking for forgiveness. We babble on and on when we use words that sound good and that sound right, but when we forget to bring ourselves to prayer. And again, Jesus offers us an alternative. Trust. Trust that what God knows about our needs is complete. He knows that when we think we know what we want and we ask God for it, he will give us what he knows we actually need. God is not thinking about word count and he cannot be manipulated by us. We try, but it's not possible. And maybe for those of you who are like me, who are verbal processors, this is a very convicting statement. I didn't like reading this in the Bible because I like to process my way into what I want with God. I like to tell him why I'm saying what I'm saying, why I'm doing what I'm doing, and surely I've processed and counseled myself enough. I've been a counselor to myself, and now Jesus will see that and will say, you're right, I forgot, that's what you need. Maybe you're less of a verbal processor, you don't like words as much, and the idea that God doesn't keep track of the words you say is comforting. And maybe when you think about the promise that it isn't about the right words, and that God sees your heart and he knows your needs and you don't even have to say them, maybe that helps you breathe a little deeper. So, if we can't pray right according to the rules, then why in the world do we pray? Can I be honest with you for a second? I'm still figuring it out. I don't know some days. But I do think from this passage, from the teachings of Jesus, from circumstances I've been through recently, and in the context of this sermon series especially, that maybe the point of prayer is to see and encounter God and his kingdom all around us with a clearer vision. Maybe prayer clarifies us. I'll say it again. Maybe the point of prayer is seeing and encountering God and his kingdom more clearly. When my sister was in about fifth grade, the middle school-ish age, my mom took her to get her eye examination. And the girl is stubborn. She needed glasses, but she didn't want glasses. And this, my sister, 
weathered the storms of my dad's financial bribery and my mom and I's verbal encouragement, and she refused to wear her glasses, even though she needed them. The doctor was shocked that she wasn't running into people in the school hallway. That's how bad her eyes were. She, I don't know what broke her. It wasn't money, but something broke her. And she decided to start wearing her glasses. And when she did, she would say things to us like, did you guys know that you're supposed to see the individual leaves on the trees? I mean, that's crazy. She would say, mom. The screens at church have the words for the songs on them. Who knew it could be so practical? And my favorite, she was walking outside one day and she goes, guys, the sidewalks have lines on them. She allowed me to share the story on the condition that I told you her defense for that last one. She's not talking about the big lines that separate the concrete sections. She's talking about the many, 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 many other lines in the concrete. She thought concrete was as smooth as the walls in this building. Needless to say, she was kind of shocked by the world that she started to see. And when we pray, it makes me think of this. When we pray, just like my sister started to see the individual leaves on the trees, so we start to see the individuals in the kingdom of God. We get a clearer vision of who God is. And Jesus teaches us this in this famous prayer in Matthew, some very important things about our God that we worship. And as we pray, we see those things in our own lives and in the world around us. He shows us, Jesus teaches us in the prayer that God is personal, he is Abba, and he is holy. He's both at once, which is pretty amazing. God is inviting. He's inviting us into his kingdom work. When we say, may your kingdom come, we're asking that he would come, literally. And finally, we see that God's kingdom wants to be involved here on this earth where we are right now. God and God's kingdom enter our cities, our communities, our churches, our neighborhoods, and even our homes to bring his kingdom come in ways that we could never ask for, but the ways that God knows we need. And we have the chance to encounter this kingdom of God. Where we are invited in as we pray to participate and to encounter. We don't see what it looks like all at once, but as we pray, we get clearer next steps. Again, I'm going to be honest with you. As I was writing this sermon, I felt like I was giving you a right way to clean the cast iron felt like I was telling you, if you pray right, this is the outcome. And if you don't see Jesus as personal when you come out of prayer, you're doing it wrong. That's not what I'm trying to say, let's be clear. 
I don't really know how to talk about prayer other than this, and honestly, I think we look for these rules. We look for these right ways of doing things because we want to be successful. We want to be good prayers. We want to talk to Jesus well. And so we look for these rules, and I'm just not sure that it exists in prayer. What I am sure of is that as we figure out how to pray, the rhythms of prayer that we have in our life, Jesus is right there with us. Jesus is praying with us. Jesus is walking next to us and helping our hearts be formed. So what do we do about all of this? It's great that prayer is good and clarifying, but what do we do? I like to start at Jesus's life. Um, in, in his rhythms of prayer that he establishes, the Gospels talk about prayers of Jesus, and they show us glimpses into Jesus's relationship with our Father. One of the most heartbreaking and shocking moments of the Gospels is Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, he has just been mocked endlessly by people who had just shouted Hosanna as he entered Jerusalem a few days earlier. So he's been mocked, and his people who love him have chosen to let Barabbas the murderer free rather than Jesus the innocent. And so Jesus hangs on the cross and he shouts out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus, God's own son, asks God where he is. If this is not affirmation for us, that our honesty and our, our questions in prayer matter, I don't know what is. Jesus crying on the cross to his father is this affirmation. It matters that we're honest with God. So we need to pray honestly. I can be focused on praying the right way, and I wonder if, I mean, I've said that a lot, but I wonder if that's where you are too. And when I do that, I say the right things. I say the prayer that I've memorized, the verses I've memorized, but have I said the true things? And when I don't say the true things, when I'm not honest with God, then I'm left longing, feeling like he's not there. And I wonder if anyone else has been there. In all truth, our honesty and prayer radically changes when we understand that our Father already knows what we need better than we do. And so we're not going to surprise him when we say that we need a friend. He's not going to say, what? I forgot about you. I forgot about that. God knows what we need, and so we can be honest with him and that will help us not feel lonely and longing in prayer. I want to clarify a little bit what I mean when I say pray honestly. Honesty in prayer might be knowing in your head that God's not forsaken you. 
and yet still crying out, where are you, God? That's honest. Honesty in prayer might be absolutely railing against a friend or, or family member to God. You love them and you respect them, but they've hurt you deeply. Or they've made a life decision that you just cannot possibly agree with. So though you want to love them well, you're angry and you just need to be angry with God. That's honesty in prayer. It can be bringing the things you're excited about while your friend is hurting to God. It can be bringing brokenness or anger or frustration or sadness into conversation with the Lord. Whatever honesty and prayer looks like for you right now, we show up in the presence of Jesus. Praying honestly is showing up. And as Jesus walks with us, we can start to see who we really are, how we're really doing, and we can see the kingdom of God meeting us there. We can be honest with our God because he knows before we ask him. So we can trust that as we come with all of who we are into our prayer, he will show up and he will meet us there. And no matter how honest you are, he's not going to run away. Not only does Jesus invite us to pray honestly, but he invites us to pray practically. Prayer is not some woo-woo, talk to the guy in the sky and hope you feel better kind of thing. Prayer is joining God right where he is, right now. For me and Brian, it's in Anderson. For this church, it's Alma and Mount Pleasant and Shepherd and Ithaca and St. Louis and St. John's and Elwell and Breckenridge and Sumner and yes, even at my in-laws in Riverdale. This means that prayer is the nitty-gritty work of being a follower of Jesus. When we pray as Jesus invites us to, we begin to see and to seek out the most needy, the fringes on society that may not be seen. And we share the kingdom with them and we receive the kingdom from them. Sharing the kingdom of God with the most needy. I'm going to define that a little bit like I did with honesty. It often looks like starting with giving them dignity. As those who are created in the image of God. Because if you're created in the image of God, so are they. Sharing the kingdom of God with the most needy in our community looks like spending time with people, investing your lives into their lives. And sometimes it is as simple as giving food to the hungry and childcare for the overworked. Sharing the kingdom of God is not about getting people into the church doors. I hope they come. They'll meet some really great people. 
but it's not about that. Often sharing the kingdom means introducing people to the Jesus of the gospel. The Jesus who intentionally fed people and healed people that were not supposed to even be looked at. We want people to know Jesus, to talk to Jesus, to pray, to encounter Jesus. Very simply, we have to feed them. Feed can be a metaphor. Daily bread can be a metaphor for some of the most basic needs. Food, clothing, childcare, housing. It can be emotional needs. But Eugene Peterson says it best. If you don't eat, you won't pray. If you don't eat, you won't pray. Prayer is a yes to an invitation to join God in his kingdom-sized work right where we are. It's a process in which we're transformed to seeing the edges of society, not only with dignity, but seeing it, seeing them as people who are worthy of the most basic needs being met. I'm learning to clean the cast irons for my husband. There's a dirty one at home on the stove that we left this weekend, but I'm learning. I'm learning to volunteer myself when I'm tired, to do things the way that he has invited me to do them, the way that he has taught me to do them. Not because it's the right way, although that matters greatly with cast iron. That's not why I do it. But because the longer I'm married to my husband, the more I value what he values. So now I value a clean cast iron cleaned the right way. Now I value meat cooked on a cast iron because it tastes good. But in a much more relevant sense, I'm still learning how to pray. I'm learning that it's not about getting it right or wrong. It's not about saying just the right things to get what I want. I'm learning that prayer is about joining Jesus in his conversation with the Father, our Father. Joining with the community that I have around me, our Father. And saying yes to the kingdom work, to the kingdom of God here on earth, something bigger and better than we can even imagine. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And again, a Eugene Peterson quote, I'm learning more about prayer in this way. Jesus prays what he lives. It's a practicality. And we pray with him. And as we do, we find ourselves praying and living what Jesus lives. Prayer makes us Christ-like. Prayer makes us see the world the way that Jesus sees the world. And then this next part. We step back and we trust God to do with our prayers whatever, however, and whenever he chooses. 
all our intentions, all our experiences, all of our energy are now in the prayer. That sounds pretty honest to me. All is now in our Father's hands. So what do we do with all of this when we're standing at the kitchen sink worried about messing up our cast iron? What do we do when we sit down and we don't know what to say or where to go because we're worried about messing things up? I might suggest thinking of one thing. When you're frozen, think of one thing, an emotion you're feeling, a hurt you've experienced, a person who's on your mind. One thing. And when it comes up, notice it. Just notice it. And remind yourself that in the joy or the sorrow, the brokenness, the anger, whatever it is, Jesus is right there with you. Jesus is sitting next to you in the car. He's sitting across from you at work or on your couch in your living room. Jesus is walking up to the sink with you and helping you wash the dishes as you are feeling that thing or thinking about that person. And no matter how honest or broken or impractical you are, Jesus is not running away from you. To wrap up our time together, I'm going to guide us through a short little contemplative prayer. What I want for you is I want you to notice Jesus next to you. I've been praying since I thought of this as an ending, that people would experience Jesus closer in the pew to them, closer in the chairs to them, closer on their couch to them than they ever expected. That you would sense Jesus very real next to you. So I'm going to guide us through a prayer, and then at the end I'll say something along the lines of, and together, Lord, we pray, and then we'll recite the Lord's Prayer. There'll be a little bit more of the normal um, memorized version, but it'll be up on the screens when we get there. So listen for that. If you don't talk with me, that's okay. But would you pray with me? Lord, this morning we think of the person at the grocery store who gathers up the carts in the parking lot. As that person's face comes to mind, we pray provision and protection for their family their meals, their clothing, their housing. And we ask, God, that you would show us how to participate in your kingdom in their lives. Lord, this morning we think of something we've been hurt by this week. We think of the person or the people who caused that hurt. And Jesus, we pray that you would be near and that you would show us what your kingdom come looks like in that relationship. Lord, this morning we think of areas of our city in which you are moving. And we don't see it because we're not there. 
Lord, we grieve the brokenness here on earth, and we ask that you would give us grace to accept your invitation to join your work, even when it makes us uncomfortable. And together, Lord, we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen.